to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And what I want to do for the next few weeks is go up to about 30,000 feet. Um, Instead of going verse by verse through the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to do a kind of a high-altitude flyover and hit the high points. So far, we've talked about the good life. What is the good life? And that is simply life in God's kingdom. That is where we can be blessed. That's where even the unblessable can be blessed. And you remember maybe a few weeks ago I talked to you about writing your own beatitude and what that might sound like. Jesus gave us the beatitudes at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 and and the thrust of those in general is the idea that people who are largely thought to be unblessable can be blessed in God's kingdom. We've talked about what it is to be a really good person. And Jesus said that if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. In other words, it's, it's more than just sin avoidance. It's more than just a goodness that is external, that the people that look at you from the outside sees a, a pretty respectable and an and a upright person. It's more than that. But rather, it is to have a goodness that flows from a heart that is moved by divine love. So let's look for a moment at Matthew chapter 6, and we will read the first four verses. In this chapter, Jesus moves from the negative aspect of righteousness, which I'm thinking you understand what I'm saying. The, the, prior to this, he's been talking about the negative aspect where he goes through, gives these examples. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you, anybody that even looks to lust, that cultivates lust. So, so he's talking there about a negative aspect of, of righteousness, those things that we should not do. In chapter 6, he moves to a positive aspect of righteousness. And what I I want to point out to you really throughout chapter 6 is there are are two big issues throughout most of chapter 6. One is continuing the theme of our primary motivation. In other words, what moves us in the way that we live? That's that's been the theme already in in chapter 5, when he's been talking about the negative aspect of righteousness, uh, what, what moved uh, the scribes and the Pharisees was uh, presenting this appearance of being righteous and just not doing bad things. Jesus says, I, I want you to be moved by more than that. I want your motivation to be a heart of divine love. 
Chapter 6 continues that theme, but it also adds a, a second theme, which would be that of security. Where does your security come from? What makes you feel secure? And uh, we'll hopefully help to make more sense of, of that as we go along. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They did their giving so that others would notice them. When they gave, they got noticed. They got what they wanted, and that's all they get. Verse 3, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's bow our hearts for just a moment of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your amazing love. Lord, would you put your love in our hearts, that we would love you supremely, and would be able then to live out a life of love towards our neighbors. Lord, would you help us that our primary motivation in life would be love, love for you and love for the people around us. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There are primarily two needs in most humans primary two needs. One is the need to be deeply known. That is simply a, a need for, for shared intimacy, to have someone that you can say, this is, this is me. This is who I am. And along with that, to be deeply known, also to be fully accepted to be both deeply known and fully accepted. These are primary in most humans. In fact, we have seen examples uh, where little babies that have been unwanted by their parents and, and abandoned and deserted and received no care and no love and those poor little ones grow up in, in many ways to be forever damaged and scarred because they did not receive that love. You have here on the screen a, a, a box with four quadrants. And what I want to ask you to do is uh, imagine a scale that starts at the bottom left, and this is zero, and at the top is 10, and over here at the bottom is, is 10. So you have zero to 10 up and zero to 10 to the right. So you, you can think about this for yourself and imagine where you would be, where you would fall. Suppose you land in this quadrant here. In other words, 
you are not very well known and not very much accepted. Most people in that condition, we would call that isolation. In other words, I, whether it's true or not, I feel that there's nobody that really knows me very well and nobody that really accepts me, and those tend to be the people that are isolated from the rest of the world, maybe choosing on their own to isolate themselves from the rest of the world because of this feeling of not being well-known, not being well-accepted. We move to the second square to the right, and you see, so you're moving up on the scale, this direction, from zero to ten. So in this box, you're well-known. There are people in your world, people in your life that know you well, that know a lot about you, but... On this scale, you're still on the low side, so you're not accepted. You are, you are well-known but not accepted, and that is the, the box of rejection. Some of you probably know what that feels like in some scenario or another, in some circumstance. I'm sure we've all been in that, uh, in that box at one time or another. We move up to the box in the upper left. This is a box where we're fully accepted but not deeply known. And that is illusion. Illusion. This is, this is the box of the, uh, uh, of the people that Jesus is talking about, where you, you do your righteousness, you practice your righteousness to be seen by others. In other words, they don't know the real you. They don't really know you, but what they do, they, they, they see you, they see what you are doing, how you are performing, and so everybody, they speak well of you, and oh, that, you know, so-and-so, that, that man, that woman, boy, they're a wonderful person. But they don't know you very well. All they know is what they see. This is the box where the, where the hypocrites belong. We, we hear that word hypocrite, and in our world and in our context, it has a very, very negative connotation. And, and what we need to understand is that Jesus gave it that negative connotation. Because prior to Jesus' usage of this word, it was a word that simply meant an actor. A, a play actor. And they were people who would dress up and put on costumes and, and present themselves in, in a theater setting, in a play, pretending to play a role, play a part. So you understand now where the, where the meaning comes from. And Jesus is saying, you, you Pharisees, you scribes, you do your giving in order to be seen by others, and you are just like an actor on a stage. There is nothing real, nothing genuine about what you're doing, but you are, are wearing a mask and presenting yourself to the world as something that you really are not. It's illusion. But then we move into this box in the upper right, and I love this box. Because it is a box of love. It is the place where you are both 
fully, deeply known and fully accepted. Deeply known and fully accepted. And this is, this is the reason why that song moved me so greatly a moment ago. For as high as the heavens above, great is the measure of our Father's love. Oh, friends, oh, how beautiful it is to know that there is someone who knows all about me. Everything from my past, everything that, and there are some things that only a few people know about me, and I don't really want a lot of other people to know. And God knows all about that, and yet He loves me just the same. Oh, it's beautiful. In God's kingdom, this quadrant is available to us, for us to live in, and it can move our lives, motivate our lives for both the negative aspects of righteousness, that is not doing the things that we shouldn't do, and also the positive, doing good things, not because we want to to impress someone or because we want to manipulate the system, but simply out of love. Now, in this passage and in the larger context of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about three significant spiritual activities or, or, or activities of righteousness, positive expressions of righteousness. The first one would be almsgiving. That's probably the word, if I remember correctly, that the King James Version uses when it talks about practicing your righteousness before others. That's talking about almsgiving. The next is the practice of prayer. This is the passage from uh, verse 5 down through verse 14, where Jesus tells them how to pray, how not to pray. And then the, the third is fasting. And I want you here to be reminded that almsgiving was, was such an important expression of righteousness for Jesus' day and Jesus' culture, that it was sometimes used as a synonym for righteousness, was synonymous. That's why we read here in chapter 6, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. And he goes right in, verse 2, to talk about giving. So keeping that in the back of your mind, let's, let's look at these activity. Imagine if you will. Now, we used to do this. We have the offering plates, and I don't know, we may again at some point, but just for right now, we've gotten comfortable with the offering box in the foyer, and so that's what we're doing. But just imagine if either, you know, following the usher, passing the offering plate, or standing out by the offering box in the foyer when you walked by was this guy. And when you walked up to put your paper money in or your check or whatever, and here is, you know, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, and they are giving. Look how much they're giving. Now, that might discourage some of you from giving. Uh, but who knows? Uh, you know, there might be some people, I, I doubt if there, it's any of you here, but there might be some people in the world, I'm sure, that, that would like that. You know, maybe we, maybe we should just give them a kazoo. Do you know what a kazoo is? You, you, it, you can't make much of anything sound good with a kazoo. It's just, you know, but 
Maybe we should just let them have a kazoo and they can toot their little kazoo whenever they do something good that they want everybody to notice. That's what Jesus is saying here in these verses. When you give, don't sound a trumpet like the hypocrites do so that they may be praised by others. And Jesus says, if this is what you want, if you want to do good things so that other people notice you and can talk about you and congratulate you and say, oh, you're such a generous person. Aren't you, aren't you kind? Aren't you such a good person? If that's what you want, people notice you, people congratulate you, then there you go. You got what you're asking for. And he says, that's all you will get. No, no reward in heaven for that kind of giving. From giving, Jesus moves on to talk about praying. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. In other words, it is a, it is a demonstration of piety and righteousness and, and uh, I, I've, I've got to be honest with you. This is just a little side note. Um, I understand what we do on Sunday morning with having pastoral prayer, and that's just kind of a pastoral thing to do. And so that's just, <laughs> I, I, I don't mean this in a negative sense at all, but I, that's just kind of part of my job. So, okay, I'll, I'll do the pastoral prayer. That's great. Um, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening when we pray together as uh, we're here as a group, there are times when I call on you and encourage you to let's lift our voices together in a, in a chorus of prayer. I love to hear God's people praying together. And there are times when I'm uncomfortable being called on to lead in prayer. Sometimes, you know, when you go somewhere and you're the visiting minister or the visiting pastor and you get called on to pray, and sometimes they will tell you in advance. And, and that is a courtesy on, on the one side because, you know, for me, I've actually, well, let me not go there, but I, I've, <laughs> I've had times where people have said to me, you know, in, in advance, so, you know, would you lead in prayer? tonight and of course I'll say yeah sure I'll be glad to do that well then you know what I'm thinking about all during the song service and all during all the time leading up to what am I going to say how am I going to pray and I want to be you know you want to pray well and want to pray eloquently and all of that and it's just thinking very little about just talking to our father in heaven It's demonstration. Now understand, that's not, uh, lest I communicate the wrong thing, that's not my motive when I'm praying. I'm just saying that's, that's kind of what gets stuck in my head. But Jesus says there were Pharisees who were very religious people, and that's what they wanted. When they prayed, they wanted people to notice them, how pious they were. There's another side of prayer that is really 
little more than superstition. Verse 7, Jesus says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. This is, it's simply superstition. There's an old gospel song that I don't like very much. There's, there's a lot of old gospel songs that I do like, but there's one that I don't like very much that says, Now let us have a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our anxious cry and he will answer by and by. Now, what's the matter with that, preacher? Well, there's not anything wrong with that so far. But what's wrong with it, the phrase I can't stand, it drives me nuts every time I hear it. When you feel a little prayer wheel turning. You know what a prayer wheel is? This is a prayer wheel. It's something that the, 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 the Hindus or the Buddhists or some, one of those Eastern religions, they have prayer wheels. And, and the idea is inside that cylinder is a little written out or printed prayer. And you walk by and you spin the prayer wheel and it releases the prayer so that the gods can hear it. Now you know why I don't like that song. When you feel a little prayer wheel turning. It's, it's superstition. Could I tell you that I believe there are some Christians who pray this way no it's not a conscious it's not a conscious thing but you know what both of these really demonstration not so much but especially superstition it is a form of security based on manipulation and control manipulation and control. How many of you have ever said something and then whatever that was you said, it ended up happening and in your mind you made a connection. <gasps> oh, I made that happen because I said it and then it happened. And then that happens enough times. It sounds funny, but people, you would be surprised how many, pe how, how many people's minds think just like this. Superstition. And then something comes into, you know, you'll eventually end up being the kind of person where something will pop into your, into your mind and you might think about saying it and then you say, oh, I better not say it. I might make it happen. We, we pray... We try to pray like Jesus told us to pray. And it ends up being nothing more than superstition based on manipulation and control. Say, how do you mean, Pastor? Well, Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, you'll receive it. So we think, aha, that's the formula. And so we've got to always make sure, Jesus, I'm asking in your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And, and we just learn that's the formula. That's, that's, what, 
That's what makes it work. That's what opens the storehouse of heaven and, and God pours out his blood. No. Nothing to do with that. That's, and granted, I know that there's probably very few or, or no Christian, really, that is aware of, this, of, of operating this way. That's, that's why I'm, I'm telling you that some of us tend to do that. So, you, so it, hopefully, it may open your eyes to say, oh, you know, maybe I, I do that. I do that. I try to manipulate, try to control the system of God's kingdom to get what I want out of him. Jesus goes on from talking about prayer to talking about fasting. Skip on there. Fasting, another, another form of acting. He, he says in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 6, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, like actors on a stage. You want to look, get to looking all gaunt and, and sad and make sure everybody knows, you know, what's wrong with you? Oh, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. Very pious, you know. Very religious person. I'm fasting. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, put on some cologne or perfume or whatever it is you use. And wash your face and comb your hair and you go out looking like a million bucks or five bucks, whatever, the best you can do, you know. Um, and you don't let anybody know from your outward appearance what you're trying to do. Because he says God is not involved in that at all. There are only two people involved, the performer and the audience. And the only reward you get is from those who are in the audience. So let's go back to this little box and how we are moved and motivated to practice our righteousness. People that live in isolation aren't really practicing anything because they're in fear. They're afraid that somebody might get to know them, and if they get to know them, they won't like them. So they simply stay alone and isolated. And staying isolated is better for them than the possibility of rejection. Because they don't, you know, nobody, nobody wants to move into this box where people get to know you and then they reject you because they, they get to know you and don't like what they see. A lot of our righteousness is motivated, though, right here. It is illusory. Yeah, illusory. Illusion. It's not real. We are motivated either by the thought that I'm not good enough, and so I just need to try harder. I need to try harder. I need to try harder. I'm not good enough, I need to try harder. And we end up just trying, 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 trying. And our security, if it's there at all, 
if we are secure in God's kingdom, secure as a Christian, our security is very minimal because our security is based on our performance. And as long as we're trying, we've, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I think I'm, think I'm doing okay. But if you get to the point where you're tripping over your two left feet or, or whatever, then your security in God's kingdom and as a Christian just goes down the drain. No security at all. It's either that or the idea that I can manipulate and control the system. I can earn God's favor. I can earn God's love. And, and both of these are illusions. So let's go to talk about the way we give. How should we really do it? How would people who are living in this box, in love, where, you know, just what you see is what you get. I'm, I'm just me. And whether you know me well, and if you, if you don't accept me, that's okay. I know that there is one who knows me completely and loves me fully and accepts me. So how do we people, how, how, do a, the living, how does living in that box where we are fully known, fully accepted, how does that affect the way we give, the way we pray, the way we fast, the way we practice and exercise our righteousness? Well, Jesus says that when you do it, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that means, you know, this, right? How many of you know how to tie your shoes? I, I won't ask how many of you can bend over and tie your shoes. I'm just asking you, how many of you know how to tie your shoes? Because some of us, you get, you know, okay. How many of you could, and it may have been a long time since you've actually physically been able to bend over and tie your shoe. Uh, that's not what I'm asking. How many of you think you could tie shoelaces in the dark? Yeah, I could tie my shoelaces in the dark. Um, I mean, this is very simple, but think about, think about something else that you know, you know very well how to do it. You don't need to see, you don't need to even really think about what you're doing. You just, it is just an automatic impulse. It just, it just flows out. This, I believe, is what Jesus is talking about when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What it is, is a natural act that doesn't require conscious thought. You know, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. This is a person that can drive down the road and eat a cheeseburger and drink a Coca-Cola at the same time, and if they really have to, if they're on the interstate, you can steer with your knee and have your cheeseburger in one hand and your Coke in the other hand. I, I don't recommend that, for, at least not for long periods of time, you know. What is it? It is that the, that the actions required to accomplish that task has taken up such a firm residence in your body that you just, you do it without thinking. I know you've experienced this. You, you're on a kind of a long drive and you suddenly come to the awareness 
that you have no memory of the last five miles? Any of you ever do that? Yeah. It just suddenly come to, and, and I realize, oh my goodness. I, I've been driving, and I've just, I, where's my mind been? You have no memory of what you've been doing, what you've passed, what you've driven by. That behavior is such a part of you that you can do it without thinking. And this is the way, this is the kind of person whose life has been so transformed by their daily walk with God that the goodness just naturally flows out of them. It just comes out. It just comes out. They, they don't have to think about it. They, they don't have to contemplate it or pray about it. It's not a struggle against resisting the bad and actively participating in the good, but it is just a natural part of who we are. In other words, they are absorbed in love for God and of the love of those that are around them. And that is what moves and motivates their behavior. And because of that, they are not living a life of illusion or rejection or isolation. They simply are what they are, and they rest, rest secure in the knowledge of God's love. Wouldn't that be a beautiful way to live? Isn't that a wonderful way to live? Now, I've got to be honest with you and tell you that there are times that I still struggle to stay living in that box. I want to. That's where I want to live. But I, I've told you before, I'm one of these people, some of you don't understand this, and that's okay, but I'm one of these people that I have a tendency, my natural temperament is to not like myself very much. So you know what that leads to? Fear afraid of letting people get to know you too well because afraid they may not like what they see. Fear of rejection. Sometimes it's easier to... I, I can relate to those people that stay in the isolation box because sometimes it's tempting and easier to want to stay isolated from people, and you may not feel very well loved, but at least you, you feel a little bit safe because you, you're not risking rejection. And then when you do have to go out in public, you put on your best face and you smile. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm fine. How are you? And let everybody see the best, but inside you, you've probably heard the story of the preacher who who put on a like a tie and a coat but on the inside he had like a very just a nasty ratty old shirt and clothes underneath he, he put it on and it was for an illustration illustration purpose and a lot of times that's the way that's the way we feel it's performance so how do we get there where we are secure, resting in God's kingdom. We, we only find it in God's kingdom, where we're living there. We're, we, we know it's, it's having knowledge of God's kingdom, and we're living in God's kingdom. And, and we are like Adam and Eve in, in Genesis 2.25. I, I bring this verse up not to be crass or, or to be provocative at all. There is a very significant 
meaning behind what this verse says. Genesis 2.25, some of you may know what I'm talking about. It's the verse where it says, And the man and the woman were naked, and they were unashamed. Sin brought this shame and fear into our world, making us want to hide from God and hide from each other. And we are afraid to be fully known. Adam and Eve, before sin, they were able to, they, they were naked and unashamed. In other words, we got, we got nothing to hide, nothing to conceal. This is me. I'm fully loved. They're fully loved, accepted by each other, fully loved and accepted by God. And people, it's only in God's kingdom that we find this. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. People fully known and fully accepted reminds me of a song by the gaithers it simply says this i am loved i am loved i can risk loving you for the one who knows me best loves me most isn't that beautiful so how do we do it well we stop performing to impress, not, not performing, not doing, I'm not abstaining from bad things, I'm not practicing good things to impress anybody, I'm not trying to impress anybody, just here I am, what you see is what you get, you either like it or you don't, and either way is okay. We don't perform to impress, we stop manipulating, we're not trying to manipulate God in prayer, we're not trying to manipulate the other people in our world by putting on an act that says we're not something that that says we're something that we're really not what we are doing is we are performing for an audience of one performing for an audience of one that means there's only one person that i really care about pleasing and that is my savior jesus christ and my father in heaven above we perform for that audience of one and in that we find we live in that place of love where we are fully known, fully accepted. And I've been going long enough, but I want to close. I have, extra, I have extra time this morning. So I just want to tell you the little story. Some of you know and remember uh, Brother Albert Barr. He was a holiness preacher of years gone by. One of my favorite preachers. Loved to listen uh, to him preach. He told a story about the time when he was courting the young lady who would become his wife. And he said that she, she was a just, in, in his eyes, she was a beautiful farm girl from out in the country, I believe in North Carolina maybe, maybe South Carolina. South Carolina, I think it was. And he said she had a bunch of big husky brothers and they were, you know, what, what we would call rednecks. You know, they're just farm boys and not, you know, they didn't dress to impress anybody. In fact, they were especially unimpressed by people that dressed up and looked fancy. And, and Brother Barr said he, you know, he would go in. He was a city slicker and, and uh, he already, he said he felt like a speckled bird going into that house and that home, that setting because of 
those big farm boy brothers that that girl had and that one that he loved. He said one day he was getting ready to go out and see her, drive out in the country, and his mom said to him, hold on, I've got something I want to give you. And he said he waited for her, and she came out in a little bit with a white sport coat, according to the fashion of the time. And he said, oh, mom, he didn't... He, he said he didn't want to hurt his mom's feelings, but he said, I already stand out like it is and with her, all of her brothers. And so he, he said, he, if I go in there wearing that, that white sport coat, they're, they're going to want to throw me out. And he said he could tell it really hurt her feelings because she had saved, his mother had saved and wanted to do something nice for him and buy him that sport coat. So, so he said, uh, he said I'll, I'll, I'll wear it, I'll wear it. He said he put it on, put on that white sport coat and drove out in the country to where she lived and her family. And, and he said he was praying that nobody would be home and that there wouldn't be anybody there to see him. And uh, he said he pulled up and it looked like a used car convention. These, they were related to half the people in lower South Carolina and they must have all come for a visit that day. He said he got out in his white sport coat to walk in and he knew they were you know, they were there in, in their overalls and their brogan shoes and just country fellas looking sideways at him out of their eyes. But he said he walked in and his sweetheart came out and saw him and she said, oh, wow, I really liked your sport coat. And he said, oh, really? Yeah, man, turn around. Let me, he said, he turned around. He said, yeah, wow, yeah, it looks... And he said, I wore that sport coat out because my sweetheart liked it. And he ended up doing something that everybody else may have been looking at him funny, thought he was dressed kind of funny. But he said he knew she liked it. And so she ended up wearing it to please him. People, that is our motive. That's what brings us security. When we can live in that place and operate from that place of love where we know we are fully known and fully accepted. And so we do what we do not to impress anybody, not to manipulate the system, but simply because we are loved and we love in return. Amen. Let's stand together, please.